So we had to choose things that would help keep us alive, mentally, spiritually, physically. And for several of us inside, you know, we chose higher education and leadership opportunities. The Ethicist Corner, brought to you by the Kegley Institute of Ethics. And welcome to the Ethicist Corner, everybody, season two. Uh, this is a podcast in which we discuss ethics in everyday life. Uh, super excited about today's episode. Uh, my guests today are Dr. Brady Heiner and Romerilyn Ralston. Both Brady and Romerilyn uh, are guiding forces of the CSU Fullerton Project Rebound Program, which is a program that makes higher education more accessible to formerly incarcerated persons, and also that supports their academic and personal success in transitioning to the CSU. Brady and Romerilyn also uh, do work with the Project Rebound Consortium, which involves PR Project Rebound programs across uh, the CSU university system. I want to note here that both Brady and Romerilyn will also be joining the Kegley Institute later this semester for an event uh, titled Reimagining Public Safety, which is part of a grant sponsor program called uh, Humanities Beyond Bars, which is a, a number of programs, conversations, documentary screenings, dealing with issues related to policing, incarceration, and related topics. And that'll be at 6 p.m. on November 18th, free and open to the public via Zoom. Uh, that's sponsored by the California Humanities a nonprofit in, in, in our state. Brady and Romerilyn, thanks so much for being with us and, and welcome to the Ethicist Corner. Thanks Thank for you for having us, Michael. So I, I want to start out with, you know, just background question, you know, for both of you. So can you tell us where you're from and can you talk a bit about your journey to engaging with issues of incarceration and higher education? Well, my engagement is quite direct. After I was separated from the military, I was fleeing an abusive relationship, and I landed in California uh, during the early 1980s. And uh, my involvement with uh, drug sales and drug use led to a life prison sentence. And so I served 23 years in, in state prison at the California Institution for Women uh, between 1988 and 2011. Uh, that's when I learned that you know, it's time to reinvent myself and I chose higher education as my transformative practice. Being incarcerated for over two decades really helped to uh, shape how I saw myself in the world, how I saw other people in the world. Um, learning about mass incarceration um, and the social issues in our communities uh, as an African-American woman, you know, really led me to want to do more policy work, think about ways in which I can help my community. And since my release in 2011, higher ed has, has helped me to think about, you know, how, number one, did we get in this situation? And, and number two, what my lived experiences can do to help other people avoid getting in the same type of situation that I ended up in and how I can connect with my community. And so Project Rebound has offered me, you know, an avenue to do that through my lived experience as a formerly incarcerated African-American woman, um, through my education as a gender and feminist scholar at Pitzer College and, you know, addressing issues that have to do with women uh, through some of my work with organizations that I've worked with. You know, it's just been a really perfect fit to use my lived experience, my education, I guess political education to help other students who have similar lived experiences. Right. So my journey to this work was very direct and quite painful, but um, it's led me to a higher calling and a higher purpose. Brady, how about you? 
Sure. So I am born and raised in the Central Valley of California, where, as you know, there are more prisons per capita than institutions of higher education. Um, and I was raised there during the prison boom of the 1980s and 90s. And so was there when prison expansion was really being sold to the Central Valley community um, as economic stimulus. And I also witnessed uh, how racialized policing practices uh, were also being manifest in public schools. Uh, so just as a youth, kind of seeing the prison industrial complex in the state of California and in my community growing uh, and being uh, framed as mostly uh, an issue, an economics issue, um, it always struck me as disturbing, um, having my own encounters with the police uh, as a youth and walking away from those encounters uh, whole, uh, alive, and without a criminal record caused me to reflect. And as I you know, later would learn, that experience was really attributable in many respects to unearned privileges related to my uh, whiteness and privileges that I hold that many of my community members uh, who are non-white did not enjoy, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. that coupled with uh, having some formative experiences college and graduate school, studying with Joy James and with Angela Davis, and philosophy, because I'm I'm a philosopher. Um, philosophy, for me, has always been, as Angela Davis puts it, if philosophy is addressed to issues of freedom, you know, um, moral responsibility, and solving social problems, then and she puts it, if it doesn't do that, it's not worth the time. Um, and so for me, philosophy has always been a mechanism for uh, conceptualizing and engaging uh, with the world and with the most intransigent social problems of the world. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the tools that I've gained from philosophy, you know, shaped my vision of the world and helped me try to contribute to solving social problems mm -hmm. in, in our community. And there's a lot there I want to follow up on, but man, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm wondering, with, you know, with your lived experience and kind of, you know, as you transitioned out of incarceration, were there challenges you faced or, or strengths you realized you had or, or mentors you had or features of experience that, that you were able to learn from and share with others that you work with now, either in Project Rebound or you know, in your education career, in your leadership career? And if so, like, what are some of those things that you learned that you've been able to maybe translate into being effective and working on incarceration now? Well, I, I think Brady can also speak to this. We talk a lot about you know, incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people having a lot of grit and mm. a lot of resilience. Um, spending half your life inside of a, a cage, walking around a prison yard, uh, especially during the, the 80s and the 90s, during the height of prison expansion in this state, where overcrowding was, you know, ridiculous, and there were no parole policies by governor after governor. It was a dire situation, and many of us felt as if we were never going to be released from prison. So we had to choose things that would help keep us alive, mentally, spiritually, physically. And for several of us inside, you know, we chose higher education and leadership opportunities to help keep us, number one, sane, and to hopefully one day help prepare us for a release. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that I'm an overcomer. I am resilient, you know, but most of all, what I've learned through my experiences as I guess a battered woman and, and, and surviving incarceration is that I am a survivor mm -hmm. and that I'm deserving of having a quality of life and having access to things in life, housing, education, you know, healthy food, healthcare, 
I'm deserving of those things, regardless of my past, my background, my, my gender or my race. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. And, and Brady, I, I wanted to return to just to some of the things you were mentioning. I, you know, one of the terms you mentioned was the, the prison industrial complex. And I know this is something that, you know, Dr. Angela Davis has written about and spoken about quite extensively, including when she visited the Kegley Institute last, last year. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of our listeners who probably maybe have heard that term or haven't heard that term and don't understand what it means. And is there, is there a way that you, you tend to explain that to public audiences when you talk about it and kind of help make that concrete and accessible, understand what that is and, and how it actually impacts incarceration and people's lives in the Central Valley? Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, the prison industrial complex is a, it's a social movement term that came out of the 1990s. Uh, Mike Davis, Ruth Gilmore, and Angela Davis, uh, and critical resistance are primarily responsible for developing the concept and, and popularizing it. And as its genealogy stems from the concept of the military industrial complex. And I think Angela Davis conceptualizes it, for me anyway, her analysis has been formative for my understanding that what the concept does is it allows you to perceive and to cognize something that you previously would have difficulty really grasping. Uh, And so what the prison industrial complex as a concept invites us to appreciate is the degree to which prisons and jails are themselves integrated into complexes that involve politicians and policymakers, corporate media uh, that involves industry, a number of different stakeholders, and and that has a huge budget around it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think one of the things that the Black Lives Matter movement has brought to the fore in ways that I think are really valuable are that budgets are moral documents. And when you look at where we're investing funds, you can really see, right, what values a society has. Uh, And the reality in the state of California um, is that all those years that I was being raised uh, in the Central Valley and prisons were being built, think about a prison. A prison is, you know, it's, it's concrete, steel, right? But it's also hundreds of jobs, right? And that's exactly how it was being sold my community like this is job stimulus right Mm -hmm. you know but the underside of that framework is that people who are caged in those facilities um, are conceptualized as quite explicitly in some cases by public relations officials in the department of corrections uh, as commodities right as as fodder for an industry right Mm -hmm. so the prison industrial complex allows us to unpack the many relationships that exist between prisons and the larger criminal legal system, and profit-making enterprises. If you look at the general fund expenditures in the state of California, prison expenses uh, went up by over 400%. And if you're looking at higher educational expenses, the adjusted for inflation spending went down by 13%, right? Mm -hmm. So so really, and and that's, they draw from the same fund of uh, tax revenue. I, following Angela Davis, you know, she, she wrote in our, our Prisons Obsolete that we have developed a degree of consciousness around slavery such that if we walk into a plantation, we can appreciate, because of the education that we've received around slavery, we can appreciate the degree to which that plantation is the product of enslaved labor. But that degree of consciousness has not been raised around the degree to which our institutions are built up around both the, the labor and the, the unfreedom of incarcerated people. And the California Prison Industry Authority uh, employs people in the state prison system 
and they publicized their wages between you know 50 cents and a dollar 50 an hour although i'm told in maryland tell you that it's often lower than that to produce all kinds of things right a captive labor force and as i learned a, a captive consumer market mm -hmm. so the california state university from the 1980s until the early 2000s was legislatively mandated to purchase anything that they needed that the California Prison Industry Authority produced from the California Prison Industry Authority. Hmm. Uh, and so in my faculty office, my desk, my chair, my two bookcases, the chairs that my students sit in across from me, every single one of those objects was built uh, and manufactured by the hands of incarcerated people in the state of California. And if you look at the price that the CSU had paid for those objects, you know, my desk is advertised and you can go on the California Prison Industry Authority website and see their catalog. And there you can see my desk and it's $800 purchase. So with a captive labor force with diminished wages and a captive consumer, right? State agencies required by the legislature to uh, to purchase objects from the uh, California Prison Industry Authority. So, um, so those connections, the prison industrial complex as a concept it invites us to explore some of those connections between prisons and jails, but their larger footprint, right, um, across, uh, across society. That's helpful, thank you. Um, so where does uh, Project Rebound enter in here, right? I mean, we see, you know, heard a little bit today about, you know, kind of the, the scale of incarceration, the experience of incarceration, the prison industrial complex, the interconnections even of the carceral system and the education system. So can, can you speak to, um, Romero or, or Brady, speak to, first of all, what is Project Rebound? Kind of, you know, uh, where did it start and, and what does it try to do and, and give our listeners a sense of that? So Project Rebound was created by uh, Dr. John Irwin uh, John Irwin was incarcerated in the late 1950s. Uh, he served five years for a robbery charge. Uh, once he was released, he finished his undergrad degree at UCLA and started a PhD program at UC Berkeley. And after he graduated with his PhD, started teaching at San Francisco State the sociology department and started Project Rebound as a way for other incarcerated, formerly incarcerated people to matriculate into the CSU system. And it's been around since 1967, primarily housed at San Francisco State University. And um, Brady can talk more a little bit about uh, the expansion of Project Rebound from San Francisco State. He was part of the steering committee to do that and maybe share a little bit more about the, the background and history of Project Rebound. But that's basically, it's been around 53 years. Okay. Um, it's, it's helped hundreds of students matriculate into the CSU system through San Francisco State. Mm -hmm. uh, it's had a recidivism rate of around 3% um, in its history at San Francisco State. And it's just been a wonderful way for folks to build community and have a space within a CSU up in Northern California where we have a nice cluster of prisons. And mm -hmm. during the time that uh, Dr. Irwin was thriving, I, I would say, at San Francisco State with Project Rebound, rehabilitation was, uh, I, I think, really important to the state of California. 
And so having access to a campus program after release from prison was really the first of its kind. It was a bridge. Mm-hmm. And now we, now with Project Rebound's expansion, we have more of that. But um, Project Rebound is, is really a model for the country. It's the first kind of reentry collegiate space uh, on a university campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll just add that um, the Project Rebound, is, we support the higher education and formerly, or excuse me, the higher education and successful reintegration of formerly incarcerated people. Um, and to sort of link up to um, the story I was telling earlier about procurement contracts uh, in the CSU, um, when I arrived to the CSU in 2011, uh, I was searching and trying to figure out ways uh, that the CSU could intervene and make a constructive contribution to creating greater opportunities uh, for currently and formerly incarcerated people. Uh, and so it wasn't long after um, I, I arrived that I found Project Rebound uh, at San Francisco State uh, with this great track record of success. For many years, it operated out of the closet of the sociology department uh, and, um, and, and yet, you know, had a, uh, and was allowed to really flourish because of student investment, right? Uh, Project, mm-hmm. Project Rebound at San Francisco State uh, became what it was um, first because of John Irwin's uh, great community building, relationship building um, uh, skills and, um, and advocacy skills, um, uh, but also because the students saw it as something uh, that should be prioritized and created a line item in the associated students in, uh, budget for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, we, you know, I, I found it and thought that this was something uh, that was that was unique, that was successful, uh, and that clearly in the CSU system, the largest four-year university, public four-year university system in the world, um, that it, it's, it was something, and also in a state with the largest prison system uh, in the world. Um, behind the U.S. as a whole, you know, and, and China, right? Um, that it was something that was, um, that the CSU had an opportunity uh, to really scale it, um, enhance it, make it, make it more accessible. Uh, and we also saw the way in which the work of Project Rebound really provided the CSU an opportunity to make good and to actualize on its commitments to access, to equitable access. Um, and so in 2016, uh, we secured a, a, a grant from the Opportunity Institute, uh, funded by the Ford Foundation and other foundations to allow us to expand Project Rebound onto eight additional CSU campuses. Fantastic. Um, and now, as of this semester, in fact, uh, we're, we're rolling out to five additional campuses. So we're now on 14 campuses in the 23 uh, campus system of the CSU. So this, this is, I mean, it's, and it's fantastic to hear about the expansion of the program. And, um, you know, of course, our, our own campus, CSU Bakersfield, is, is one of the campuses that has a, a Project Rebound program. And our institute has collaborated with them quite a bit in the past, and also with, with you and Maryland as well. Um, and I, I'm, I'm wondering, though, I mean, kind of just to maybe a couple of things that, that people don't, maybe don't understand about, you know, the, the importance and also the experience of, of, um, of formerly incarcerated students coming into the program. So, 
Uh, two things come to mind. I'll start with one, um, and maybe Marilyn, we could start with you on this. Um, you know, what what are what what are a few? Um, I'm sure there are many we could talk about, but a few primary obstacles that formerly incarcerated students face, like when they're trying to go to uh, to a higher education institution, that that make Project Rebound necessary. Um, what are some challenges that that those students tend to face in that experience? Well, what we're finding in a, a lot of our communications with students inside, especially those that have served long sentences and who have been incarcerated since uh, the 90s, because, you know, prior to 94's crime bill, you know, there were hundreds of prison uh, college programs. And after the crime bill, you know, because the Pell Grants were eliminated for incarcerated students, you know, all of those programs went away. And so we're finding out now, 30 years later, that um, a lot of people had to finish some degrees and they don't have the GE requirements. Um, a lot of, it's really hard to find transcripts. A lot of our students are struggling with finding transcripts from schools that no longer exist. Mm -hmm. um, many of our students don't know how to find their transcripts. Um, in the 90s, you know, California prison system, and still do, I think today, have a literacy mandate of a GED. So higher education has never been a priority for the prison system here in California. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our students who are inside that, that's looking to higher education as their transformative practice, don't really know where to start. So when they get information about Project Rebound, we're able to help guide them through the process, whether or not they have any college credits from the 80s or 90s or even 70s. Some of our students were taking classes inside in the 70s and trying to locate those transcripts in those schools have been a challenge for them. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out whether or not they're eligible for financial aid how to fill out a FAFSA application. Mm -hmm. Housing is a big issue for many students who are incarcerated and, and coming home. But I think what I've found over the last four years with working with Brady uh, with Project Rebound is that most of our students transferring from prison to the campus, it's about confidence. It's about the, in, the imposter syndrome. Right. You know, they're scholars. They can make the grades. They have the grit. They're resourceful. They thrive in, on college campuses because they're, they're used to doing things by themselves and doing things well. But if you've been inside of a cage for half of your life, you lose a large part of yourself. And a part mm -hmm. of that is confidence mm -hmm. and, and the ability to see yourself as worthy and deserving to be in a privileged space like a university. Right, yeah, that, that point seems so, I mean, everything you're saying seems key, honestly, but that, that notion about kind of the self-concept and how important kind of that ability to kind of see yourself as, as a valuable member of a higher education community and how important that is to actually being able to succeed and kind of the support structures that you need to be able to have that experience. It's like Project Rebound is such a crucial way of doing that. Um, you know, this also raises a question for me. It raises a, a skeptical question, one I've received. So, um, Brady, I'm interested in, in what you have to say about this. Um, 
you know, so I, I, you know, throughout my career as a, as a philosopher, um, even starting as an undergrad, I, I've done educational work in prisons, philosophy seminars, book discussion groups, uh, ethics bowl programs, things like that. And, and the same at the Kegel Institute. And one of the questions we've got is, well, you know, why devote resources to free education in a carceral system when there's students who aren't in prison who need assistance and need, need help? Um, why devote resources to people who are incarcerated um, and not other student groups? Now, I have feelings and thoughts about this question, but it is a, it's a kind of question I've received in doing this work before, kind of a skeptical question. And I'm wondering if you've received questions like that in the past and if you have thoughts on how you tend to respond to those kinds of questions. Well, um, I would ask the skeptic why it needs to be either or, right? Uh -huh. Why can't it be both and? Mm -hmm. right? um, why can't we provide uh, resources? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, there's the human rights framework uh, that the United Nations um, um, you know, the United Nations Human Rights Framework pri prioritizes education that contributes to the full development of the person as something that every person in confinement um, has, a, has a right to, to have access to. Um, so I think that the you know, sort of social justice and, hum uh, and human rights uh, arguments in favor of, of folks having access to the, to the means of full self-actualization um, are clear, but I take it the skeptic uh, to whom you're referring is not persuaded uh, by those kinds of arguments. Right. Um, and if not, then a cost-benefit kind of utilitarian argument is just as strong, right? Uh, which is 98% or so of those who are incarcerated will come home. Mm -hmm. uh, and what state do we want those people coming back into our communities in? Do we want them to have uh, had access to resources, uh, to build skills, to engage in reflection, to, uh, to become, uh, to return to us as, as, as contributing uh, members of, of the community? Or do we want them to come to us broken um, uh, and, and so traumatized? Uh, that they're going to turn right back around and, and go back in. Um, so there's that. And there's also, right, um, in, in, on the subject of cost-benefit analysis, um, the state of California spends over 91000 a year to keep one individual in a cage. And so that's more than, going, that's more than tuition, room, and board at Harvard, right? Wow. Um, and we have succeeded in um, advocacy, I mean, we, in, meaning the, the movement, right, it's the abolitionist movement um, and criminal justice reform movement have succeeded in California um, in decarcerating significantly, right? Uh, we now, just recently, uh, the number of people incarcerated in California dropped below 100,000 for the first time since 1990. Okay. Um, and so, but, with the, and that's part, that's a product of Prop 57, uh, Prop 41, a couple of other um, policy mechanisms, as well as some commutations and things from the governor. Um, but with that um, decrease in the population of the state prison system, you have not seen um, a, a, a corresponding decrease in the corrections budget. In fact, you've seen an increase in the corrections hmm. budget. Hmm. So the okay. per capita 
uh, and in the Department of Juvenile Justice, this um, uh, this disparity is even. I mean, the 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 amount spent is per individual in the Department of Juvenile Justice is over two hundred thousand. Wow, it's just mind blowing. Yeah, the numbers so really case, are striking. When you, start, when you start thinking about think about all that you can do with those kind, and those that's that's public wealth, right? So this is tax revenue. So again, like to go back to the you know one of the main philosophical voices around this, Angela Davis, what, pri what, the, what prison, what mass incarceration does is it, it, um, it serves as a, uh, a catch-all solution for a host of social problems related to racial inequity, related to gender violence, related to unemployment, um, homelessness, right, um, uh, substance abuse, and the and the criminal punishment system comes in to 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 capture and really to disappear those problems, um, not to solve them, but to just disappear and you know, mm -hmm. to render them invisible, mm -hmm. um, at least to a large part of um, of the company, but of the of the um, of the country. But in the process of doing so, the prison industrial complex exhausts and consumes the various public resources and social wealth that could be deployed to solve those problems, right? Yeah, right. So when you start no. talking about, you know, $90,000 a year to keep someone in a cage, we're spending a fraction of that in Project Rebound. And what are we doing with, a, you know, with that money? We are, we are folding people into a, a, a community, a caring community of support. We are providing for housing and transportation and employment and food security providing, um, you know, systems navigation and technical literacy training. Uh, and really, I mean, so these are life-affirming ways of deploying public uh, and private resources to really try and address the underlying problems, right? Um, and some of, most of those are structural, and so we're scratching the surface uh, of them, but making a, an, an impact, right? Right, um, right. So I would say to the skeptic who is not, Persuaded by the social justice argument, the, the human rights argument, the the argument, the ontological arguments about intrinsic value, uh, that just look at the cost-benefit analysis, and we've had a great deal of success translating those arguments into a policy context to get Republicans and, and fiscal conservatives uh, to get uh, on board with the work that we're doing because they they see they see they see the dollars if they don't see um, you know the the intrinsic value. Right. Well said. It's really powerful. Um, and so I, I'm wondering here, actually, you know, kind of some uh, resource related questions. You know, uh, I'm thinking, say, one of some of our listeners are are formerly incarcerated persons and are, are interested in um, joining a CSU campus. Uh, how do interested and eligible students join Project Rebound? Like what's a what's what's a next step for a student or a person just wants to learn more about Project Rebound and the things you're talking about today. Where, where could they go? What's a good resource? Great question, because we have a new website um, within the CSU, and there you can find a drop-down menu that lists, I think, the majority of our campus programs. So if someone is looking for CSU Bakersfield or Fresno or Sacramento, San Francisco, of course, I hope they're looking for Fullerton. Uh, they can just hit the menu. They can see, find all of the campus programs listed. Click on that campus name. It'll take you to the campus's website, and you can find 
a, a wealth of information there. On our site, we have a lot about the history of our program, our services, resources, our newsroom, some of our activities. Um, there's also a donate button if people want to donate to help support Project Rebound. But I just wanted to comment to what Brady said and, and the question that you asked, Michael, real quickly. Sure, sure. A quote came to mind from Ruthie Gilmore, where life is precious, life is precious. Mm -hmm. And I think people forget when they think about incarcerated people that we're human beings. Right. We, we come from communities. We come from families. We are someone's loved one. People care about us. And once we become incarcerated, people don't stop caring about us. Many people who are incarcerated have college degrees, have owned businesses, yeah. or have been contributing members to their society, have been leaders in, in their churches and mosques. Right. Uh, so the idea of who's incarcerated you know, is, is the problem because it's a stereotype. And yes. so when folks think about who's incarcerated and who's deserving of resources and access to higher education and housing and different things like that, they picture some kind of trope that's been you know, man manufactured through movies and, and, and cinema and media as you know, some monster, some derelict, some, someone that's lurking in the bushes. Mm -hmm. And that's been, I think, largely part of the problem with was folks realizing that incarcerated people return to their community. So when Brady said 98% of those incarcerated return to the communities and how do you want them to return, you know, this is why we need to invest more in education and less in incarceration. Yeah, right. Well said. And I think there's something about that that's been yeah, I, there's a number of really powerful things you're saying there. And I'll just say, I mean, something it, it strikes for me is in, in, in working within incarceration institutions. And one of the biggest elements that I've heard from uh, incarcerated students is just the, the, the humanization aspect, like how, mm -hmm. how important and how significant the educational experience can be, being, being engaged as a philosopher, as a scholar, as somebody who has something, you know, worthwhile to say and how, um, and, and my experience actually across the board, some of the most talented engaged students I've worked with have been within prisons, right? And, and when that opportunity is there, the, the way in which people rise to that occasion and, um, and kind of seek redemption in that way and, and, and are you know, built up in that way is, is a really crucial aspect of the work. And I think sometimes it's easy, to, it's easy to forget that for people because of the way that prisons are closed off, located in areas away from major, say maybe away from a major urban center and, and people aren't just you know in there all the time, so they kind of forget you know the power of this work and also the the possibilities and the power of the people who are currently within prisons too. And so I really appreciate how you highlight that and the work you're doing as well uh, for our university system um, in that regard too. Um, yeah, and I'll just say you know when I was an undergraduate working um, you know helping Joy James do research, I was transcribing the writings of incarcerated intellectuals, and that mm -hmm. was a starting point for me of just. Mm -hmm beginning to appreciate an appreciation that's only grown as I've done uh, work, you know, higher education work inside of prison and, and the work that we've done in Rebound. Just the amount of aptitude, skill, talent, ingenuity, right, that mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is, is inside, um, you know, 
of prisons across the country. Um, and one of the things that, pro so it should be front and center, and I don't know that we've centered it yet in the conversation, but we should. The, the centerpiece of Project Rebound's philosophy uh, is centering the leadership of formerly incarcerated people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. our staff uh, are themselves, right, formerly incarcerated people mm -hmm. who have transitioned and navigated institutions of higher education, succeeded um, uh, not just as undergraduate, you know, obtaining undergraduate degrees, but graduate degrees, not just obtaining degrees, but um, exercising leadership, um, building organizations, building, um, you know, um, uh, you know, making major contributions, right? Engaging in policy work, right? So when someone comes to us uh, with a lived experience of incarceration and an imposter syndrome uh, and a self-conception that suggests that they don't belong uh, at, at, on a university campus, it's not just someone with a dis, you know, with distance from from that experience saying, "Yeah, give it a try." No, it's someone you know, like Romerilyn, uh, who can say, "I would, I did 23 years, right, and I've, I've, I've won, you know, I have a master's degree. Uh, I've um, been part of coalitions, leading coalitions that have led to uh, the passage of, you know, half a dozen laws in the state of California." I, I know legislative directors and legislators in the state capitol who call upon me uh, as a, a voice of expertise in, in public safety uh, reform. Um, you know that she, she's she's received the civil rights uh, uh, leadership award from uh, from um, uh, the National uh, Black Women's Association, right? So then that person who thinks to themselves, "Oh, this is not a place for me." is suddenly has this living example, right? right. And Romero right. is, is, is one of, uh, uh, you know, is, is one among, uh, among many very talented people who are part of Project Rebound. Uh, and that, that, that shatters the imposters, that contributes to shattering the imposter syndrome that, that formerly incarcerated students might bring. And it also daily shatters stereotypes uh, that non-incarcerated, non-you know, folks, non-impacted people uh, might have, right, about those inside and coming out of the prison system. Right, it's a crucial point. Thanks for thanks for making that, and that yeah, it's uh, uh, a central part of what what you're doing, and um, you know, really, really be really to be to be commended. And I've seen that kind of on our campus uh, work as well. Kind of the importance of having persons who have been incarcerated, you know, in leadership positions, kind of helping develop programs, helping to mentor other students, and um, um, just yeah, fundamentals to the success of what you're doing. So thanks so much again, uh, Brady and Romerilyn, for, for joining us and sharing information about Project Rebound, giving us a sense of the scale of incarceration in California, some of the issues around the prison industrial complex, and just a grasp on, on um, these issues and how you and your colleagues um, are responding to them. So we, we like to close out the pod every every episode with a, a segment we call the lightning round, which is just five questions that help our listeners to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. Um, so uh, the first question I have uh, is, if you were stranded on an island and could have one book with you, uh, which would it be and why? Wow, that's, that's a tough question. There's so many amazing books. So I will choose 
because this is the first book that came to my mind, uh, Black Feminist Thought by Patricia Hill Collins. I, I think um, that was my, reading that book was really eye-opening for me. It, it kind of helped me find my place as, as a Black woman and how I now see the work that I'm doing and the work of Black women who have come before me. So that, that book was a game changer in my life. Brady, how about you? This is a tough question. Uh, if I have to choose one. We ask the hard-hitting uh, questions here. It is hard. It's hard-hitting, right? <laughs> um, and even though I'm a philosopher, I'm going to go with the most, you know, one of the most sort of theoretically interesting works or uh, literary authors. I mean, so, so works by Toni Morrison is what okay. I would, um, you know, beloved um, mm -hmm. would be one. Uh, you know, there there are a few people who have contributed to my sense of of, of what it means to be human um, uh, more than Toni Morrison. Uh, her her control of the language, her ability to, uh, in in you know, um, to 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 re resist and articulate experience, um, as well as create a a, a language of life. Uh, life affirmation is really, I think, quite singular. So I think that's what I'd want on, a, on an island. All right. So if you could choose between the power of invisibility or flight, which would you choose and why? <laughs> oh, I would. <sighs> flight for me. Flight, no doubt. Flight. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, good for you, Brady. Flight. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd have to soar too. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. all right. Uh, if you could have dinner with any two people, past or present, who would they be and why? I'm being generous. It used to be one, but I actually expanded it to two. <laughs> uh, one, one person would definitely be Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would just love to hear about, you know, his, his real experiences inside Robben Island um, and, and the courage it took to survive that and then come out and become a leader. You know, what some of this, and I'm sure he's written about this, but I would just love to, to meet him and hear um, him tell me about his story. Mm -hmm. uh, so Nelson Mandela is one. Go ahead, Brady. I'll let you go. Uh, I am going to say very different reasons. So is, is this at the same dinner or are these two separate dinners? I think it's the same. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the same. It's the same dinner, right? You're going out, you're going out on the town and you're going to be able to have two people there with you. Interesting. That's a, well, hold on, that chat might change things. Because <laughs> then you're trying to create, you know, a dialogue. You know, that, That's right. Um, I'll, I'll go with, um, um, ooh, it's a toss up between Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker uh, all right. with Nelson Mandela. All right, good choices. Thank you. <laughs> Strong dinner. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman from oh. All right. at the same the same dinner. Um, All right. So the next question is, what is the best movie you've watched in quarantine? I, I saw this film called Force Majeure. It's a Swedish film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's an interesting one. I've seen that one too. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that. Romero, like okay. anything come to mind? Parasite. All right, yes, good choice. Yeah, another great Parasite one. Came. Yeah. All right, so this is our last question. Um, and this comes from our producer, Norma, um, 
It raised the question, you know, um, you know, Brady, I, I think you mentioned the statistic that 90% of people currently incarcerated are going to come back home. And of course, Project Rebound is doing work to help formerly incarcerated individuals in California and on our CSU campuses. But what can our listeners do to help? You know, what, what's, what's one thing that comes to mind for you that common everyday listener could do to help respond to the issues that we're talking about today in their daily lives or relating to policy or, or something else? Like, you know, how do, what would you suggest? Well, I would say I would invite listeners to go to our website, check out some of our campus programs, uh, particularly our newsrooms. You could f- gather a lot of information about our students, our staff, you know, lots of information about what we're doing and, and how we've done it. I would also ask um, listeners to don't count out folks who have gone to prisons or jails. You know, give people that second chance, that third chance, or that fourth chance. You know, there's 70 million people in the U.S. with felony convictions. You know, at any given day, any of us could be arrested and and be counted in that number. So, you know, as as folks say, you know, by the grace of God, there go I. Mm -hmm. So don't count people out. Um, Everyone has and deserves a second or a third or first chance. And a lot of people, you know, haven't even had the opportunity to have a first chance, so that. Thank you. And Brady, any final thoughts on that question? Yeah, I mean, so there's plenty of ways for folks to connect with Project Rebound and what we're doing and the innovation that's happening on our uh, consortium campuses. Uh, And just, you know, using a search engine to find Project Rebound, you'll see our system-wide Um, uh, website as well as websites for our individual campus programs, many of which uh, feature some of the uh, exciting things that we're doing. Uh, Donating, right, uh, is is one, and volunteering, right, to contribute. Uh, Now that with the pandemic, you know, one of the silver linings of that is that place uh, is is not as much of an obstacle, right? Um, And so there are many ways for folks to engage with the community. uh, in meaningful ways uh, through that. But then I would just say on a larger, uh, more conceptual kind of level um, that the we, we are in the midst of one of the largest social movements of our time around racial justice. Uh, and some of that discussion has been framed around defunding uh, the police. Uh, and I think that, uh, I think that a lot of folks Um, I think that a lot of folks don't quite understand what the movement around public safety uh, intends by that. But I think Project Rebound is just one of many examples uh, of what, because when you, like I was saying earlier, budgets are moral documents, right? So if you're funding one thing, right, or if you're defunding another, you're reinvesting elsewhere, right? So it's not just about uh, defunding punishment, right? It's about investing in communities, right? Right. Uh, And we're just one example among many uh, possible ways in which we could reimagine public safety uh, to uh, invest in the lives of marginalized people. Mm. Uh, Because 75% of those who are incarcerated are people of color. Uh, 50% of those who are incarcerated are black, mm. right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. So 
that um, you know, so uh, we can, like, like we were saying earlier, we can spend millions and millions, you know, of dollars um, uh, in 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 punishment, or we can uh, we can figure out ways, and there are plenty of models out there for investing in communities, investing in leadership opportunities for marginalized people. Uh, and I think that that, that that is what reimagining public safety is really all about. And we need to provide folks with concrete examples of what that reinvestment looks like, right. what, com what community, uh, what life affirming community looks like um, when you defund uh, cages and badges. Thank you so much, uh, both of you for your responses and your time today. The, the conversation has been fascinating, informative, and, and really powerful. Um, so again, looking forward to spending time with both of you again uh, on November 18th for our program. We'll be sending out publicity on that going forward. We'll be talking about reimagining public safety um, and having a conversation with our broader community about that. But thanks again so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate thanks the Thanks for having us. Take care. To learn more about the CSU Project Rebound program, visit www.calstate.edu slash rebound. Also, be sure to mark your calendars for the Kegley Institute of Ethics event, Reimagining Public Safety, which will feature Dr. Brady Heiner and Romarilyn Ralston as panelists and will focus on incarceration and policing in California. This event is part of the Humanities Beyond Bars program sponsored by California Humanities. Zoom link information will be posted at csub.edu slash KIE or by following KIE on social media.